Have you ever felt like you wish you were there with the 12 as Jesus was giving his teachings? Have you ever thought, man, if I could just be there, if I could just hear Jesus's voice, if I could uh, just hear exactly how he broke down the scripture and interpreted the scriptures and told the parables and performed the miracles. Have you ever felt like that? Like, man, I just wish I was there. And, and have you ever just thought, I wish I could be there when Jesus was walking after post-resurrection, after Jesus was raised from the dead on the road to Emmaus, and he's just revealing himself to his followers throughout the scriptures, just revealing Christ through the law, through the prophets. And then there's this scene that we, we come upon in the book of Acts where Luke says that it was 40 days after Jesus Christ was resurrected. It was 40 days He's hanging out. He's eating meals with them. We know he, he ate at least one meal with them, right? He cooked some fish uh, after he was resurrected and said, hey, come on, guys, come over here. Had breakfast with them. So he's hanging out and he's talking to them. What, what do you think Jesus was talking about to his disciples? And if you were to, to listen in on, on one point in, in Jesus' teaching and conversations with the disciples, what do you think his topic would be? Well, let me, let me just say this. If you were to hear Jesus talking, Jesus teaching, if you were to hear one of Jesus' sermons, or if you were to be a fly on the wall during this 40 days when Jesus was walking with his disciples, teaching them, talking to them, you would probably hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. Jesus would probably be saying something about the kingdom of God. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was calling people to, to change their mind, change their direction. But he was, he was calling them to do that in response to the reality that the kingdom of God has come. It's here. And when Jesus gave parables, you know what the parables were mostly about? The kingdom of God. And Luke tells us in Acts during that 40 days, what Jesus was talking to the disciples about was the kingdom of God. Jesus prioritized the kingdom of God and he calls his people to do the same. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to look at God's kingdom agenda from Acts chapter 1. I'm excited about preaching through the book of Acts. And I'm also intimidated, just to be honest. Uh, it's, a, it's a long book and there's a lot of narrative and narrative can be more challenging to preach through and it can be more uh, easily misinterpreted, misapplied to our lives. One of the things I encouraged our people to do through uh, the post that I, I shared this week was as you're reading through the book of Acts, uh, take note of what does the text say? Observation. What does the text mean? Interpretation. How does the text correlate with other portions of scripture? Okay. Correlation. And then how does this apply to my life? Application. Okay. So th those are some, some things to think through as you're trying to interpret the scripture because there are many people who take the verses and they just piece together a theology that doesn't fit with what scripture teaches. All right. And so we want to avoid doing that. 
And we want to avoid pushing away scripture as irrelevant in our lives because scripture is very relevant and very profitable uh, for the living of our lives, for the things that we believe and the way that we think and the way that we see the world. Another point of application here, a tool for application I shared is this uh, acronym SPEC. So as you're reading through Acts, uh, a couple things to look for. Is there a sin to avoid? Okay, like Ananias and Sapphira, right? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to believe? Okay, like the promise of the Holy Spirit being given to all the people of God, to all who believe, right? Uh, is there a an example to follow? Like the example of the, the church praying like crazy, unified, Praying, generous, committed, seeking first the kingdom of God. Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey like repent, believe, follow me? You know, is there things like that in the book of Acts? And is there knowledge of God to gain? Is there knowledge of God to gain? Statements like in Acts chapter 1 where the apostles are trying to uh, find a replacement for Judas. And they're like, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Like show us who, who do we, who do we pick here? Who, who's gonna be the next guy to fill Judas's spot? Uh, is there knowledge about God to, to gain in here? God knows everything. God's sovereign. God's gracious. God is saving people. There is lots of knowledge to gain about God in the book of Acts. And so those are some helpful things, uh, tools as you seek to interpret the scripture in the book of Acts. Um, let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing in the heaven, he went, behold, the two men stood, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have saw him go into heaven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So first of all, I just want to mention the author of the book of Acts. Um, the author is Luke. He was a physician. Uh, according to Colossians chapter 4, he was a physician and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, as you read through the book of Acts, you will see a shift in the narrative. And one of those shifts is around chapter 16, go from uh, they to P- Peter to Paul to we. And the reason he goes from they, them, Peter, Paul to we is because Luke is rolling with Paul. He's in his company. They're traveling companions. Wouldn't it be nice to have a, a doctor on your uh, mission team? He was an educated man. He was an educated man. He was a doctor. I'm not sure if he was a, a Jew or a Gentile, uh, but he was a, was a believer. He was a convert uh, to Christianity. And first of all, the, the, the first thing I'd point out about him is that he was a historian. So he's giving history, okay? Now, that's not all that he's doing here, but he's giving history. And he, in Luke chapter 1, so, so Acts, Acts is like Luke volume 2. Okay, he's, he's picking up the story where, where he, he, around where he left off. And in Luke chapter 1, again, he's writing to the same person, this, this guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus, uh, his name meant uh, loved by God or dear to God. Some think he was like a, uh, like a, an official, like a Roman official, some, somebody high in government, an important guy, or, uh, a convert to Christianity, or a seeker to Christianity. Some even think that, he, that, that the name Theophilus, that it's just written to this symbolic person, uh, symbolizing the church, those who are loved by God. Uh, I'd lean more towards this guy being a real person that Luke's writing to. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative to the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Okay, so Luke's a historian. He's giving an orderly account. He's compiled an orderly account of the story of Jesus. He's also considered a, a, a diplomat by by some theologians, like John Stott points out. So he he's a, a peacemaker. He's giving a defense for the nature of Christianity. So that, because there was a misunderstanding among Roman officials in, in, in the, in the government in the first century of Christianity. I mean, the Christians were blamed for burning Rome. Like they were blamed as, they were falsely accused of things that weren't true. And so Luke is giving uh, a defense of the nature of Christianity. He's describing it as a historian, but also he's, he's explaining the nature of Christianity. Christianity wasn't this political movement to try to uh, rebel against Rome and overpower them through through war. Christianity was the kingdom of God coming into the hearts of people and transforming lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And and you don't see a call to violence uh, in the book of Acts. You see the opposite. You see Christians laying down their lives and suffering, not taking lives, but giving their lives for the spread of the gospel. And, and Luke is, uh, he records, uh, the apostle Paul before governors and kings and giving a defense 
and you see Paul's respect and, and you see the submission of the church to the governing authorities rather than rebellion to the governing authorities. And then lastly, uh, Luke is a theologian evangelist. Uh, as Howard Marshall says, uh, salvation is the central motif in Luke, Lucan theology. Um, John Stott points out that, you know, there was salvation, Luke 2, salvation prepared by God, salvation bestowed by Christ, and salvation for all peoples. Now, some theologians would push back, some scholars would push back on uh, Luke being a theologian, and they would say he was just a historian, not a theologian. Uh, but you got, you got th- some theological statements in the book of Acts. Not, you got one, the theology that, that Jesus taught and, or that the apostles taught, Peter and Paul taught. Uh, and then you got statements like this here in Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That sounds like a theological statement to me. A loaded one. And so Luke was a theologian, evangelist. He was through the message of the apostles, through the narrative of, of God moving and working through the church, he was proclaiming the gospel. And, and we are evangelized by it today. We are impacted by it today, by his account, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so verse one says, Luke, that I have dealt with in the first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? That's volume one, the Gospel of Luke. That implies that Acts is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and to teach. Okay? Jesus didn't stop working. Okay? He didn't stop working. He was still moving and working by the power of the Holy Spirit through his people. Now, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 15. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by the by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to... Alaricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul says this, this ministry that he was doing in, 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 as a missionary, as an apostle, advancing the gospel, he, he says, Christ has done this through me. Luke records what Jesus began to do and teach. And on the life of Jesus and the impact that he's made in this world, let me just quote this historian. He says this, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men like the life of Jesus Christ. By it, millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It has done more to ally the the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse known to man. It's emancipated millions from the chattel slavery and millions others from addiction to vice. It has protected tens of millions in exploitation by exploitation by their fellows. It has been the most fruitful source of movement to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. 
When you look at the impact of Jesus Christ upon the world, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming how he has affected education, how he has affected care for the poor, medical care, care for the sick, how he's affected war and, and how uh, justice and how nations relate to one another, how, how the message of Christ has affected slavery uh, and, and so on. Uh, Jesus has had a huge impact in the world. And you know what? He's not done yet. He's not done Now, let me just say this. I don't want to diminish in any way the finished work of Christ at the cross because his work to to atone for the forgiveness of sins and for the salvation of the world is finished. And there's nothing insufficient about it. Jesus came and he did what he what he was sent to do. He accomplished the work of giving his life as a ransom for many. And while he walked the earth, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leopards. He he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, Luke tells us. That's our Jesus. Okay. He finished his work on earth while he was physically here. He finished his task while he was here. And he, he died upon the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead. And now he has commissioned his people to continue his work. And that's the big idea today. The big idea is this, that God has a global plan to expand his kingdom throughout the world through the witness of his people who are empowered By his spirit. Okay? God has a global plan to expand his kingdom throughout the world through the witness of his people who are empowered by his spirit. First of all, look in verse 3. It says that Jesus had presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke picks up at the resurrection. Jesus presents himself as alive from the dead. He was dead and he was alive and the resurrection makes all the difference. And, and these guys gave their lives for, for the message of Christ, for the gospel message, because they believed this. They were witnesses. They were witnesses of what Jesus did while he was on the earth, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. And then they were witnesses that he was crucified. They saw his dead body. They, they knew where he was buried in the tomb. And then they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Christianity has historical documents indicating what has happened. And, and there's, there's not much debate about whether there was a man named Jesus who lived in the first century, right? Not many people are debating that. Now, there may be debate around his resurrection by unbelievers, but the Bible tells us that he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Luke tells us that he was walking around for about 40 days. So the the, the confidence of the, the disciples must have been strengthened as they saw the scars on his hands. And they heard the teachings from his lips after he had been resurrected. And so Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and his topic as he was talking to them was about 
the kingdom of God. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about the nature of the kingdom of God here. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? John Stott in his commentary on the book of Acts says that the kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. Through the gospel of peace, not by a declaration of war. And by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, and revolutionary violence. You see, there were many revolts in the first century. There were Jews and there were zealots, people who were political activists who were trying to buck the Roman Empire and throw off the Roman rule. And it was common for the for first century Jews to expect the Messiah when he came to deliver the Jewish people from the Roman rule physically and restore the kingdom of Israel, give them sovereignty uh, and, and, and be delivered from their oppressors. But the kingdom of God showed up in ways that many Jews didn't expect. Jesus came as a humble king. The kingdom of God, Jesus came in humility. And the kingdom of God came with this subtle, well, a baby born in a manger, right? Growing up and living a life and experiencing the, the pains of life in a human body. And so the kingdom of God would spread not by a, a political leader, a military leader taking advancing the kingdom it's the reign by physical force by acts of war it would it would advance through the working of the holy spirit in the hearts of people changing people from the inside out one of the greatest examples of this as we see in acts chapter 9 is saul who was a terrorist now if i were jesus i might just like take that guy out since he was killing the church but God, he's, Paul says, God had mercy on me. God was gracious to me. And, and he, for, you know, he looked over, he, he pardoned him. And, and, and Jesus confronts Saul. He encounter, Saul encounters Jesus Christ and his heart is changed. The whole trajectory of Saul's life was changed when he encountered Jesus Christ. He encountered the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. He encountered the power of Jesus Christ. He was, he was trembling. He was like, Lord, who are you? And this terrorist, this former terrorist became one of the greatest missionaries and apostles, one of, one of the greatest evangelists to spread the message of Christianity. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, 13 of the epistles in the New Testament. And so we see the kingdom of God coming in his life. And then we see that the kingdom of God is, it's gradual, it gradually grows, and it's a, it's, there's a global expansion, uh, of the kingdom of God. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is, by the way, Acts 1-8 is a key verse for the book of Acts. If you want to outline for the book of Acts, Acts 1-8 gives us an outline. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see that the kingdom of God is a global kingdom. 
God has a global agenda, not just an agenda for Israel, not just for Jerusalem, but God has an international global agenda. That's one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God is the diversity. Around the throne, there will be every tribe and every tongue worshiping, according to Revelation chapter 5. And that's something that we desire to model here at City Church Garland. I don't know if we can get every single nation in this space or gathering together, if we have every single nation and tribe and tongue in America to do so. Uh, But we want to reflect heaven. One of our values here is unified diversity. Unified diversity. We want to reflect the diversity of the kingdom of God, the international diversity of the kingdom of God. We want to reflect that here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, another one of our values here is missional living. We want to be intentional about living on mission for Jesus. This is what God calls us to. And the expansion of his kingdom advances gradually. Jesus described the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 13. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven. That a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was leavened. And so these parables indicate that there is, uh, there's a gradual growth of the kingdom of God. There's this small thing that God starts and it grows into this big thing. One of the prophets says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. I have to remind myself of that as we, uh, as a small church plant are here in, in this community. I'm reminded and encouraged by the reality that the kingdom of God it is, a, is a, it expands gradually. It got, it often starts with a small thing that God does and it just grows and grows like a, it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and it just grows like this big tree and, it, and, and the tree gives provision for birds to come and nest themselves in. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what we want to be like here at the church. We want to be a kingdom-centered uh, people, a gospel-centered, kingdom-centered people. And, and we want to provide a place here, a family here, where, the pe- where people can come and be a part and have community and experience love and grace and mercy and all the blessings of the kingdom of God. And how does the kingdom of God come? Now notice this in verse verse 6, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So notice, notice what the, the, the disciples are interested in learning about. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God these 40 days, and then they have a question. Hey, teacher, rabbi, hey, uh, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? And Jesus redirects them. He redirects their focus. He actually, he doesn't directly answer the question, but he, he directs them to God's 
kingdom agenda. God's global kingdom agenda. They were focused on the kingdom of Israel. They were focused on the kingdom of Israel. But the kingdom of God isn't limited to a national kingdom. It's a global kingdom. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. That's God's global plan. That's his vision for the kingdom of God to spread like wildfire. God wants every tribe and every tongue. And so in the book of Acts, we see from Jerusalem, as we'll look at next week, Lord willing, in Acts chapter 2, God pours out his spirit. The Spirit of God comes upon His people. God does what He says He would do. His, he fulfills His promise. He pours out His Spirit on His people. And they are empowered to do what God has called them to do. Okay? So the kingdom of God advances through the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that we are not left to our own strength, our own willpower, our own understanding, our own smarts? our own creativity and wit to advance the kingdom of God, our own gimmicks, business plans. Aren't you glad that we have a resource beyond ourselves uh, to advance the kingdom of God? As I've said often before, that through the gospel, we not only have pardon for our sins, but we have power to live lives that honor God. The power of the Holy Spirit. And notice... What the focus of this power is in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is what the kingdom looks like when it spreads. This is how the kingdom spreads through through witnesses, through the proclamation of the gospel. You will be my witnesses. Now, throughout the book of Acts, there are these summary statements describing how the kingdom of God is spreading like leaven or growing like a mustard seed into this big tree so that the birds of the air can nest in. So Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so those who received the word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that doesn't sound very gradual, does it? That sounds pretty great. That's, that's a mega church happening in one day. Acts chapter 6 though, but there's this, there's, there's this continual growth that continues to happen. They, they get scattered, the people of God get scattered, and God uses persecution to do that. Um, but there's these summary statements. As you're going through the book of Acts in your, in your scripture journals, and if you didn't get one, make sure and get one. We sh- um, there's these statements like this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the kingdom of God expands through the proclamation of the word of God. Through God's people, God's chosen. This is really profound to me that God's chosen people to speak the message of the gospel so that non-Christians can hear the message, believe, call upon the name of the Lord, and then experience salvation. God's just planned it that way, that he saved people through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, that's why it's important that we use words in the preaching of the gospel. It's not it's not enough just to show acts of love to people that that might be winsome to them and persuasive. 
But you got to share the message of the good news if somebody's going to get saved. They need to hear it, believe it, put their faith in Jesus, and call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for salvation. Okay? Uh, if there was anybody who could have won people over with just their good deeds, it was Jesus. He went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed by the devil. Is that Acts 10, I believe? That Jesus has the ultimate example life of good works, of love, of power. Okay, but Jesus preached. He preached a lot. He even said in, in Mark chapter 1, for this purpose I've come forth, that I might preach. Let's go. Let's, let's keep this agenda going. Let's keep moving because i got some other cities and people to preach to. This is why, I'm, why I've come forth, right, in, in Mark chapter 1. And so the word of God, as it spreads, disciples were being multiplied. Even priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, but when they believed Philip... He, he, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. By the way, I love Luke's inclusion of women and their role in the kingdom of God. Luke seems to talk more about women and their part in the kingdom of God than, than other uh, biblical authors. There, there are some parables that, that some of the other gospels don't have in them. Uh, you know, there, he quotes from Joel, you know, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Uh, there's this Philip who has virgin daughters who prophesy. I mean, you just, you got this, you got this, you, you got Luke emphasizing not, not only women, but also like the, the social outcast of the day, the lowly, the, the childlike, the, the Gentiles. You know, he, he communicates the heart of God with the kingdom of agenda that he describes here. And so the kingdom advances through the proclamation of the gospel. And then we see the kingdom of God advancing through the prayers of the saints. Okay. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Now Jesus told his apostles to wait. Before he said to go, he said to wait. Before he said go, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Because you guys are going to need it. You guys are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to finish this mission. You can't do it in your own strength. It, it is arrogance for us to go out in our own strength thinking that we can advance the kingdom of God in our own strength. We need to be a prayerful people. And that's how we wait. We wait in prayer. We posture ourselves in prayer, depending upon God, waiting on God for him to fill us, empower us. And this should be something we do daily. We should practice waiting daily. And we live in a culture that does not like to wait. Our fast food restaurants illustrate how much we don't like to wait. Because if you take more than five minutes going through Wendy's or Whataburger or McDonald's, you're getting irritated. You're like, man, Chick-fil-A. Like, come on, this line is moving slow. Five minutes here. Come on, man. How long does it take to make those, those chicken sandwiches, right? Like we get, we get impatient. You know, we got microwaves. We can heat that, that, that meal up in two minutes. Like, come on, let's go. And yet God over and over throughout scripture, he calls his people to wait on him, to hope in him, to look to him in prayer, waiting. God is good to those who wait for him. And here he calls the apostles to wait, wait in Jerusalem. 
Okay, and this isn't, he doesn't call his people to a passive waiting, like, oh, what do we do? Let's play some games, guys, until the Holy Spirit comes. Let's play Blockus, code names. Let's, let's just hang out until the Holy Spirit comes. No! They were to wait in prayer. And they were to wait with eager expectation that God is gonna show up. God is gonna move. He promised something is coming. Someone is coming. The Spirit is coming. And he's going to show up. And so they, they devoted themselves to, to prayer. Luke emphasizes the importance of prayer in his volume one, the gospel of Luke, and in the book of Acts. He has, uh, he has a lot to say about prayer. We talked about prayer last week. And prayer is so important to the life of every disciple. It was important to the life of Jesus. And it should be important to each one of us. We will not see kingdom gospel advancement without giving ourselves to prayer. And where there is much prayer, there is much of the Holy Spirit, Andrew Murray says. Where there is much prayer, there is much of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Acts 4, verse 31 When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, let me just say this about this first. This was after Pentecost, Acts chapter four. They were they were threatened to to stop preaching. Otherwise, they're going to get beat down. Right. They were they were threatened and they were beaten. The apostles were beaten for proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In response to those threats by the Jewish authorities, they prayed, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth. God, you know, you know what's going on here. We need power. Give us boldness and the Holy Spirit. They prayed, the Holy Spirit filled them, and they had boldness to keep doing what God had commissioned them to do. God commissioned them to be witnesses, to proclaim the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And that's how the kingdom comes. So an application here. Allow God's kingdom to be priority in your life by studying the teaching of Jesus and and teaching it to others. Is the kingdom of God priority in your life? If you were to examine based on how you spend your time, your money, your words, your le- your leisure time, your play, how you conduct yourself at work, how you relate to people. Does all that bear witness that you are somebody who prioritizes the kingdom of God? God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and that is the best place to invest and give ourselves to. Okay, his kingdom is everlasting. Paul said that his kingdom is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. That's one of the ways that the kingdom of God, that's what it looks like when God's kingdom comes in your life. There's righteousness. There's peace. There's joy in the Holy Spirit. Is there an increase of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit in your life? Because you're prioritizing the kingdom of God, seeking it first. Avoid allowing secondary theological issues to distract you from the main agenda of the kingdom of God. The disciples, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven, so they, they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Luke records this. They watch him go up. And there's two angels there 
who say, hey, what are you guys doing? Why are y'all looking around? Like Jesus, just like he went up, he's going to come back. Okay, you guys have a mission to fulfill. When when they were asking about what about the kingdom of Israel, Jesus redirected them. You guys are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. They wanted to know the times and the seasons. They want to know exactly when. When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? There are, there are people who are so preoccupied with how it's all going to play out in the end times that they are distracted from seeking first the kingdom in their own lives. Don't let secondary issues uh, distract you from seeking first the kingdom of God in your life. Don't let the things that God's not holding you responsible to know and understand and to do distract you from the main thing in, in the kingdom of God. Uh, what is it? Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is a great verse for, for seminary students. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the, the things that are revealed are for us and our children. And so there are things regarding God's big plan and what he's doing that just aren't for us to know. And that's okay. He's God and we're not. As a matter of fact, if you give yourself thinking about things that it's God doesn't want you to be concerned with, you will find yourself anxious, distracted, and worn out. And when I've found myself in that place, one of my prayers that I go back to is Psalm 131. That David prayed. He said, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes lofty, nor do I concern myself with things too great for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. And so perhaps you need to come back to that place of what's the main thing? Putting your hope in God and his everlasting kingdom and giving yourself to that. And then ask God to fill you with his spirit. To be a bold and effective witness. You can't do that without the power of the Spirit working in your life. I think most of us here desire to be effective witnesses. We want to see our family members that don't know Jesus come to the Lord. We want to see coworkers, classmates, neighbors come to the Lord. And we need the power of the Spirit to witness to them effectively. To, to, to be persuasive, to, to cut through the strongholds that are established in their minds and their hearts. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And then lastly, ask for opportunities to share the gospel with neighbors, coworkers, classmates, family members, and strangers. Pray that God would open doors for you like the Apostle Paul prayed for or requested in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 4. Like pray that, that God would open doors for you to speak the message of the gospel. We have good news to share, good news about God's kingdom. Imagine if you had the cure to cancer. Cancer is terrible. It's a horrible disease. It's, it's terrible to watch what it does to lives as they wither away, affected by cancer. And imagine if you had the cure to it. And I believe that the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is much better than even the cure to cancer because it will affect lives eternally. It will affect lives here and now and it will affect lives eternally. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. 
You've called us to be witnesses. You, you gave us apostles to lay the foundation, to write scripture. Thank you that we have a book that tells us how to live, that describes the story of what you've done and are doing in the world. And I thank you that we get to be the continuation, that a part of the continuation of what you're doing. And so fill us now. Give us vision to be about your kingdom agenda. Move us onto your agenda and where we have spent our time trying to build our own little kingdoms and create a nice, comfortable world for ourselves and little kingdom for ourselves. God, would you help us get our eyes off of that? Just anything else that that, that may be a distraction from seeking first your kingdom. And may we give ourselves for the advancement of your kingdom in this world. We pray now. Do you pray with me, church, your kingdom come? Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may he lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.